Welcome to True Crime and Horror, the podcast that delves into the darkest and most chilling stories from the world of crime and horror. Join us as we explore the fascinating and often terrifying world of true crime and horror. From notorious serial killers and unsolved mysteries to spine-tingling ghost stories and haunted houses. Our expert hosts will guide you through the most gripping cases and terrifying tales, providing insight, analysis, and plenty of scares along the way. If you're a fan of true crime and horror, this is the podcast for you. So lock the doors, turn off the lights. A few years ago, I took my grandma and her friend on holiday to Egypt. There were some really cheap packages for this resort town called Sharm El Sheikh, and they'd both been really poorly due to the cold weather over the winter, so I decided to do a good deed and pay for us all to get some sun for the week. Anyway, I booked the flights for February the 9th, and we flew out from Heathrow in the morning. The heat was just what they needed, and it was great getting to spend some quality time with them both. But after a couple of days, I started to get a touch of cabin fever. Like I said, my gran and her pal were content to spend the whole time by the pool, gabbing away and drinking non-alcoholic cocktails. Whereas me, on the other hand, I wanted to actually see a bit of the country that I came so far to visit. I wanted to soak up a bit of the culture, try some real authentic food instead of the o too familiar European-style grub they'd served at the resort. I also wanted to mix with the locals and... As the calendar drew closer to Valentine's Day, I found myself longing for a different kind of company. Now's the time where I have to clear something up. I'm a gay man, I was still in my 30s at the time, and I was also very much available. I'm also not one for the holiday romances or one night stands, so at first, I didn't even think about dipping my toe into the local dating pool. But as I said, around Valentine's Day I found myself playing the hopeless romantic and wondering if there was anyone I could share a bit of romance with at such a special time of year. It sounds sappy, I know, but I'm prone to a bit of sappiness, so you'll have to forgive me. Anyway, since Egypt isn't exactly known for its acceptance of gay or lesbian lifestyles, I didn't reckon that there'd be any bars that I could pop into for a bit of harmless flirting. So instead, I decided to see who in the area was on Tinder. I brought up the app, changed my location, and did a bit of swiping here and there throughout the day. There were a few tourists, and only a handful of locals were brave enough to actually show their faces, but one did, and oh my days was he gorgeous. He was tall, dark, and handsome, every queen's dream, and his bio said that he worked as a resort manager. His English seemed really good from his profile, so I thought that I'd swipe right and see what came of it. I really didn't think that we'd match. He seemed way out of my league, so I just sort of resigned myself to it not happening and started planning a little trip into the old town so I could check out some of the old mosques and stuff. I jump a resort shuttle into the old town, have a little wander around the market and all that, and I'm taking pictures of all sorts of amazing things as I go. Then, on the way back towards the shuttle shop, I walk past somewhere with free Wi-Fi, and since I had all my data off to save a few quid on the phone bill, I took the opportunity to log on to the Wi-Fi so I could send Grant a few photos as if to say, look what you're missing out on. Then right as I'm trying to send a photo, a Tinder match comes through, and it's the Egyptian Adonis that I had mentioned before. I couldn't believe it. I was just staring at the match in disbelief, thinking this must be my lucky day. 
Then as I'm looking at the screen, he starts typing a hello. This was it. We talked for about half an hour back and forth as I walked up and down the streets just beaming to myself. When I told him that I was only there for a few more days, he asked if I wanted to meet that night. If I give him a few hours to get home from work and take a shower, I could be around by 7pm for dinner and a movie. He asked if I like pasta, and oh my god do I like pasta, and then when I said yes, he said that he'd make me some fresh and homemade. I was ready to fall in love right there, and after telling him that I'd give him a text in a few hours, I headed back to the resort. Gran knew something was up, she could tell by how much that I was smiling when I got back. She was a bit slower to accept me coming out than my parents were, but she got there in the end, and by that time she was very supportive. So when she recognized a bit of glow about me, she had no qualms about asking me 101 questions while she and her friend giggled back and forth like schoolgirls. I told her that I'd be having dinner with a friend and that if all went well, that I'd be back in the morning. When they'd finished giggling, Gran and her friend got awful sweet about the whole thing, wished me luck and told me to have a lovely time. The man I'd been texting, we'll just call him Mal, had given me the address of his flat near the old town. He said he couldn't offer me any wine, but that the pasta sauce was on the stove and he was very excited to see me. I was excited to see him too. Really excited actually. Too excited to consider if maybe it wasn't such a good idea after all. But I didn't think. Or if I did, it was only from my little naive bubble where I couldn't possibly consider the outcome of such a thing. I wanted to meet Maul so much that... It didn't even occur to me that he didn't exist in the first place. Things only started to seem off when I was actually walking up to his flat, when I saw what a state of disrepair the building was in. It wasn't exactly a wreck or anything, but all of Maul's pictures had made him look quite well off. That block of flats didn't seem like the kind of place a person like that would call home, but just the thought made me feel like I was being way too judgmental. The one moment of doubt I had, the one opportunity I really had to walk away and save myself, I just brushed off the idea like it was nothing. I followed my heart when I should have trusted my gut, and I ended up paying dearly for it. I found the apartment matching the number he'd given me and knocked on the door. There was a complete silence on the other side. Maybe it's a bit too hopeful of me to expect the sounds of smooth jazz and cooking when I arrive at the home of a potential date. But complete silence, hearing nothing, gave me the creeps immediately. Then, when someone answered the door, it was a total stranger. Not Maul, not even anyone who looked like him. It was just this chubby, bearded bloke who somehow knew my name. It was so confusing that I didn't even know what to say at first. I was scared that I'd been catfished or something. But then, the guy addresses me by name, then invites me inside saying he's a friend of Maul's and that he'll be back in a few minutes. I'm still very hesitant to walk into his flat, and I'm still thinking of something's really off here, but then the guy suddenly said something that put my mind at ease. His English was good, but heavily accented, and he said something like, Don't worry, I know you and Maul have a meeting together. I'll be leaving when he comes back, I promise. He sounded as warm and welcoming as possible, and like I said, I actually found it quite reassuring at first. But the thing is, I might be an idiot, but I'm not a total idiot, so instead of going inside, I decided to politely decline. 
I told the guy that I'd be more comfortable waiting outside and that I'd give him all the call or something to see where he was. I thanked the guy, gave him a wave, and turned to walk back down the stairs, but I already knew it was too late. The look the guy gave me when I turned him down was chilling. He went from happy and smiley to completely expressionless in like a microsecond, and part of me knew right then that things were about to go horribly wrong. As I got about halfway down the stairs, I heard shouting coming from above me. It was a man's voice and he sounded very angry. I thought it was the man that I had been talking to who was now fuming that his catfish had been rumbled and out of fear that he'd started chasing me down the stairs a la Patrick Bateman, I started basically running down the stairs to get out of there faster. I hadn't even got to the bottom yet when I realized that yes, the man was actually giving chase. But when I got onto the street outside, there were two police officers standing right in front of me, like my guardian angels had suddenly materialized right when I needed them most. I started to explain what was happening in the plainest, simplest English possible, hoping they'd be able to understand, but as I spoke, I suddenly realized that they were not there to help me. They were both giving me these absolute death stares, and I remember shouting, wait, 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 as one of them pulled out this big wooden baton. After that, my memory gets a bit patchy. I know they took me back up into the flat that I just walked away from, but honestly, I couldn't tell you if I walked or if they carried me. The next solid memory I have was being punched and kicked while the man who answered the door asked me questions in English. I remember trying to answer them as best as I could at first, but I could taste blood in my mouth and anything I tried to say just came out as a kind of groan. I spit out the blood so I could speak, but that just made them beat me harder. Then the questions turned to my sexuality and the reasons I had traveled into the old town that evening. In that moment, it wasn't quite like their whole scheme came together before my eyes, but it definitely was a big clue for me. The invite from Mall had obviously been some kind of trick, and although I was sadly familiar with the concept of gay bashing back in the UK, the fact that the police were involved in whatever was going on was absolutely terrifying to me. It's a testament to how scared I was that when they actually put some handcuffs on me and dragged me out to a waiting police car, I was actually relieved. I thought that that'd be the end of the beatings and abuse, and the beginnings of some kind of official legal process, but it was only half right. They took any opportunity they could to punch me, kick me, or throw me into a wall, and when I asked what I was being charged with, they told me simply, debauchery. I didn't even know what debauchery even was at the time, let alone that there was a law against it in Egypt, and the fact I was completely in the dark about the whole thing meant my nerves were stretched to a breaking point for almost every minute that I was in that cell. I only really got an idea of what was going on when a man from the British Foreign Office turned up to have a chat with me. I never thought that I'd be so happy to see another English person, and at first, just being spoken to like a bloody human being was such a relief that I had to fight back tears for a while. His name was Martin, and as much as first meeting him was a real boost, the news he had for me wasn't good. Basically, Egypt had made it illegal to be intimate with someone outside of marriage, they call this law Article 9 or something. Officially, its purpose is to combat what they call adultery, but unofficially, it's the law that makes being gay a crime in the country, 
and if you're charged with an Article 9 related crime, a conviction can mean anything from six months to three years in prison. Just hearing the words three years in prison made me feel physically sick, and I think I was just about on the verge of a panic attack before Martin managed to calm me down. He told me not to worry, and that the foreign office was leveraging the Egyptian government on my behalf. However, they needed something from me, too. They needed me to remain almost completely silent. I was to say nothing about my sexuality, and if they asked me any other questions, my only answers were to be, I don't recall, or my intentions were purely platonic. I was to repeat these two phrases until I was blue in the face, and if I kept shtum, the police would eventually have no choice but to drop the charges. Martin talked like it was something he'd been through a hundred times, and that reassured me that everything would be okay, but also kept saying over and over again before he left, don't say a bloody thing. All this hinges on your silence. And he was right. But my god, did the Egyptian police use some dirty tricks to try and get a confession out of me. During the final period of questioning before they let me go, they told me things like, if you tell us you're gay and admit what you tried to do, we'll let you go. They tried acting so genuine, and it was sickening seeing how nice they could act when all they wanted to do was put me in prison and slap me with a steep fine. I just did what Martin had asked me and in the end, they let me go. I'd rather not rehash the reunion with my nan, let's just say it was very emotional with a lot of tears and a lot of apologies. I spoke to Martin briefly on the phone before we were due to fly home and he assured me that no further charges would be filed. I thanked him for helping me and he assured me that he was only doing his job no different from all the other suits and ties that keep the wheels of government turning. But to me, he was so much more than that. To me, the man who appeared so calm and collected while I was at my breaking point, he was my hero. Even if he was the most unassuming hero you could dream of. What I'm about to tell you happened last year on Valentine's Day. I'm a female who lives by myself in a small house about 10 minutes outside of a major city. I've lived in this house for about three years now after moving from an apartment in another city. I had been single for a while and I hadn't really been dating at the time. I was mainly just focusing on work which was really busy at this time of the year. Then one morning, it happened to be Valentine's Day and I got up at about 6 a.m. like I usually did. When I stepped out of my front door, I noticed that there was a letter on my front step with a rose on top of it. I picked it up and saw that it had my name on it, but no return address. It was strange because at this early in the morning, I knew that somebody had to physically bring the letter and rose to my front step and not just mail it. I took them both inside and was really curious to find out who this was from. When I opened up the letter, my mood went from happy to creeped out. The letter was typed out and started out by complimenting me on my looks and also saying I was really nice. Then it went on to describe some of my daily activities and eventually whoever wrote it said that we were meant to be together. However, they never left their name and there was no indication at all of who it was from. I took a photo of it and sent it to a texting group chat that I had with several of my friends asking if one of them did it as a joke. I really didn't think they would do something like that and sure enough they all denied it, but they did think it was pretty funny. I thought about all the people that it could have been, 
but I didn't really have any good ideas as to who it was. I decided to just move on and forget all about it. That night when I returned home from work, I once again saw something on my front step. It was a heart-shaped piece of paper, and it said on it, Why don't you spend Valentine's Day with me? I took it and went inside and called my best friend to tell her about it. We talked for a while, and it made me feel better. But a little while later, after hanging up, as I was in my living room, I heard a knock coming from my front door. It was nighttime by now, so it immediately got me suspicious. I went over to the front door, but nobody was there. I thought I saw out of the corner of my eye a man walking down the sidewalk in the other direction. Of course, I only saw him for a second, so I couldn't really give a description of him at all. I opened the door and there were no new letters or anything like that on the front step. I was now pretty concerned about whoever this was, but I didn't really know if it was grounds to call the police or anything like that. I hadn't been threatened or anything, so it seemed like it could have all just been a joke, and I didn't want to overreact. But still, I couldn't help but feel nervous about who it had been. I called my best friend back and she offered to come over and stay the night with me, which I said yes to. She didn't live too far away and was there within 15 minutes. There was no more activity the rest of the night, and the next day everything seemed fine. I went back to work like usual, and when I got home, I was happy to see that there were no letters or anything like that. I figured whatever had happened was just some Valentine's Day prank. I still wondered who it was though, but I was no longer really that concerned. But about two days later, as I got home from work, I once again saw a letter at my front doorstep. I got a bad feeling when I saw it. When I got inside, I opened up the letter. Inside the envelope, there was another handwritten note. It said, quote, I've been watching you. I hope you enjoyed my Valentine's Day card the other day. I also knocked on your door several times. And tomorrow when you get back from work, I will be back. I couldn't believe it when I read this, and I suddenly felt really freaked out like I wasn't alone. I ran straight from my front door and out to my car. When I was safely in my car, I drove to the nearest police station. I told everything to them and they ended up investigating and having an officer stay near my house for a couple of days. I don't think they ever found out who was behind it all, but I never had anything like that happen again. A few years back, I went on a date with my girlfriend on Valentine's Day. We went out to a really nice and fancy restaurant. The restaurant was one of those that was pretty expensive and you needed to make reservations for. You also had to wear nice clothes. We didn't normally go to such nice restaurants, but on the special occasion of Valentine's Day, it was nice. Our plan was for after dinner to go to a movie. When we were leaving the restaurant and going out to my car in the parking lot, I saw there was a man standing kind of next to my car. I was parked kind of in the back of the parking lot, so I was sort of surprised to see this. The man was wearing a suit and saw me walking towards him but didn't say anything. I guessed maybe he was waiting for someone or something like that. He was probably about six feet away from the passenger side of my car, and when I got close to him, I said hi. The man didn't say hi back to me though. He just kind of looked away and sort of took a few steps farther. We got in and drove away to a movie theater that was about 10 minutes away. The movie theater was pretty busy, and after we had gotten our seats, I left to go to the bathroom. As I was walking down the hall of the movie theater, I saw the same man in a suit once again. He was just kind of standing near the bathrooms looking in another direction. He never looked at me at all, and as I got closer, I was sure it was him. 
I went to the bathroom and then walked back to the theater where my girlfriend was and I told her about seeing the man. She thought that I was joking at first and started laughing until I told her that I was serious. We didn't really know what to make of it, but just hoped that it was a strange coincidence and for the most part, we ended up forgetting about it. When the movie was over, we left the theater and we didn't see the man at all in the theater or the parking lot. We got back to my apartment to watch some TV and have some drinks. I would say about an hour after getting back, as I was changing channels on the TV, my girlfriend asked me to come and look out the window. I walked over to it and looked outside down below. I lived on the third floor, so it was sort of high up, but not really way up there. I saw on the side of the road was the same man in a suit just standing there. Now I knew this couldn't be a coincidence. This time it appeared he was on the phone. I knew without a doubt that this was the same guy, and we were both really creeped out now. I had enough at this point and decided to go downstairs and confront the man. I left the apartment and walked down the stairs into the lobby. Then I went out the door to the street where the man was. But when I got there, he was gone. I walked down the street a little bit and looked all around. I couldn't find him, so I went back up to the apartment and asked my girlfriend if she saw which way the man went. She said that he walked closer to the apartment building and then he went out of sight. This was concerning because to us there was a strong possibility that the man was inside our apartment building. It took me a long time to fall asleep that night, but nothing strange happened until I finally did fall asleep. I had dozed off at probably about 2 a.m., but was awoken to the sound of a knock on our apartment door. I quietly got up and walked over to it. I looked out the peephole, but saw no one. My girlfriend and I both knew it had to be the man in the suit, but what did he want from us? The rest of the night, there were no more knocks. In fact, we never did see that man again. But I always wonder who he was and why we kept seeing him. This happened last year, a few days before Valentine's Day. I was 18 years old at the time, and I was a very shy kid. It seemed that every girl I saw ignored me or just didn't really want to talk to me. Anyway, I was at a restaurant with my best friend at the time who I called John. We were talking about a bunch of different things, but mainly sports. Eventually, I asked him about some dating advice. I knew I could ask him about this sort of thing because at the time he had a girlfriend. I told John I was sick and tired of being ignored by every girl, and John told me to take out my phone. He took his out as well and told me about the dating site he used to meet his girlfriend. John helped me by explaining how to make a good profile and things like that. A few hours later, I was at my house in my room setting up the profile. I tried to find the nicest picture of myself that I could, and when I did, I used it for my profile. Then I used the app for a while and hoped to get some matches. I decided to watch some TV in my room after that, sitting on my bed, waiting for my phone to go off saying I had matched with someone. I was skeptical and didn't really think that it would work, but after about just a minute, there was a ding from my phone. I grabbed my phone to look and see what it was. I saw the message was from the dating website and it said someone had matched with me. When I clicked on it, I saw I had matched with a girl named Eva. I clicked on her profile and saw that there was a picture of Eva. She was my same age and had black hair and bright blue eyes. She was also wearing a blue dress and she was smiling showing off her bright white teeth. I felt myself smile. This was the first girl who I was about to talk to so I decided to send her a simple hello to start the chat between us. A minute later, Eva sent a hello back. 
We ended up chatting and she seemed really nice. I then asked Eva if I could meet her in real life and not just chat with her, and she actually said yes. She told me I could meet her at her house, and then she gave me her house address. She told me I could come over that very same night if I wanted to. I said yeah and gave her a thumbs up. I stopped chatting with Eva and started getting ready. It was a bit cold outside that night, so I put some warm clothes on. I then grabbed my phone from my bed and hopped into my car. I messaged Eva telling her I was on my way over. As I was driving down the road, I kept thinking about how lucky I was I was going to meet a girl on the first night of using the dating app, and I was excited about what John was going to say when I told him about it. As I continued driving to Eva's house, I suddenly realized that the road I was driving on was becoming more and more empty and just woods. I passed by houses every several minutes, but there were barely any streetlights, and it seemed that I was heading into the middle of nowhere. In fact, it took me almost an hour to get to her house. When I got there, I texted Eva telling her I was there and got out of my car. When I looked up at the house I was standing in front of, it looked like it would cave in at any second. I had a bad feeling, but I decided to keep going up to the front door. As I did, I noticed the grass that was in the front lawn was knee height. I sent Eva another message. I told her I was in front of the house and told her to tell me if this was the right address. She sent a message saying yes, she was there and to just go inside and call out her name. I grabbed the doorknob and let it slowly creak open walking inside the house. I noted that it was dark and dusty inside. I didn't see Eva or anyone else, and then I tried to send Eva another message, but the app wouldn't work. The Wi-Fi signal was down, and I wasn't really getting any service on my phone. I decided to walk around to see if I could find her, so I headed into the living room. I saw a bunch of old furniture, and then I noticed hanging from the ceiling was a bright blue dress. I noticed it was the same one that Eva had been wearing in a couple of the photos she had on her profile. Then I saw a black wig hanging from the dress. It made me really confused because Eva's hair was black in the pictures. I called out Eva, hoping she would hear my voice. But just then, in the deepest and creepiest tone, I heard a yes from behind me. I nearly jumped and hit the ceiling. I turned around, but I didn't see Eva. The only person standing in front of me wasn't a girl. It was a guy wearing a black hoodie. He had the hood up and was wearing blue jeans. I noticed he had brown hair and he gave me a creepy smile and winked. I asked who he was, but he didn't say anything. He just pointed at the blue dress and the wig, grinning at me with the darkest smile that a human could. Then I noticed he had something in his hand. It appeared to be a gun. He told me in a deep voice to hand over everything I had on me. Then he pulled out a bag. I didn't want to argue with him, so I pulled everything out of my pockets and dropped them into his bag, even the watch I was wearing. The man then started to walk away from me. Pretty soon, I watched him walk out the front door. I was relieved, but also still terrified. Finally, I was able to get my legs to move again, and I ran out to my car as fast as I could. Luckily, I didn't see that freak again, but he had all of my stuff. I drove all the way back to John's house and told him everything. From there, he called the police, and when they arrived, I told them everything. As it turns out, the man who had lured me into the house was also pretending to be the Eva girl, and she didn't really exist. That's why I saw the blue dress and the wig in the living room of the house. The house also didn't belong to the man, and it was an old abandoned one. The scary thing is, the police never found the guy. But since it happened, I stopped using dating apps.
Can you see me? Hello? Can you find me? Can you find me? I'm here. Behind you, look. Behind you. I'm behind you. I am right behind you. Don't be scared. I just want to play a game with you. Hey, 